Well, good morning. What a joy it is today to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Good to see your smiling faces. Y'all liking the colder weather out there? Yes. Upper 20s this week. That's going to be a lot of fun. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series entitled The Perfect Family. And hopefully at this point through this series, some of you are becoming the perfect family, right? Anybody in here, have y'all achieved that yet? Okay, well, we got two more sermons for us to become a part of that perfect family. So far, we've looked at the gospel and the dysfunctional family. We looked at the gospel and marriage, the gospel and parenting, the gospel and singleness. And last week, we looked at the gospel and the extended family. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the gospel and legacy leaving. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to the book of Psalm, and we're going to be reading beginning, or we're going to read from chapter 145 and begin reading in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there, Psalm 145, beginning in verse 1. And as you're turning there, let's, let's open up with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we do come before you this morning. Father, as we prepare now to hear a voice from you through your word, Lord. We thank you for our time of worship. And now, Father, as we transition into this time, Father, we study your word together. And as we talk about this topic entitled Legacy Leaving, Father, I pray that every single one of us in this room want to leave behind a legacy. Father, that it outlives us. Father, because we have made eternal deposits of the glory of God within the hearts of those that we do life with. Father, just move this morning. Speak to each and every one of our hearts and reveal your truth to us from your word. Father, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So beginning in verse 1, these are the words that we read. I will extol you, my God and King. And bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. And shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Your life and my life. And how we live this life has eternal implications. We are to reflect God's glory and to share God's glory with future generations. You know that, right? Every one of us are to share God's glory and reflect God's glory with every subsequent generation that we have the opportunity to do life with. Now, as we go through this message, understand that a lot of what we're talking about is that generational exchange, the older generation to the younger generation. There are times, certainly, when the younger generation makes eternal deposits in an older generation. So what we are called to do is leave a eternal deposits into the life of others. It doesn't 
matter if that person is older than you or younger than you or the same age as you. So as we go through this message, keep that in mind. Our title, once again, is this, The Gospel and Legacy Leaving. We are all going to leave behind a legacy. We are all going to leave behind our life story. Our message point is, what kind of legacy will you leave? When someone like me one day presides over your funeral and has to give an account of your life, what will be said at your funeral? Do you want to be remembered for the inheritance you left behind, for the things that you left your family, or do you want to be most remembered as a man or woman that sought to glorify God and reflect his glory? I don't know about you, but that's the kind of legacy that I want to leave behind. I don't want to leave my kids a bunch of stuff, and as it's looking right now, they're not going to get a bunch of stuff, all right? But what they will get will be an eternal deposit of the glory of God in their lives because they were raised in a Christian home and they've been discipled not only by my wife and myself, but also by a church family and others that have invested in them along the way. Folks, so often we get sucked into the American trap believing that God wants us to be happy and that the only way we can be happy is to accumulate as much stuff as we possibly can. God's ultimate desire for your life and my life is not that we would be happy. God's ultimate desire for our life is that we would be holy. That is what is most important. Not the stuff that we leave behind. Not the material things. But that you and I would live holy lives yielded and set apart unto God. Some of you in this room are University of Texas fans. How many of you are University of Texas fans in here? Raise your hand. How many of you kind of like bleed, burn orange? I've got a few no. I'm a no right there. All right? But I know that my friend Clark Mays is a huge University of Texas fan. Colt McCoy, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play for the University of Texas, once shared these words about legacy leaving. He shared these words. He said, in 2010, I got a call from the president of the university and received one of the greatest honors of my career. They wanted to retire my number 12. He said that I was standing on the field with Coach Brown and his wife. My parents and my wife were right there next to me. They were saying something over the speakers and some highlights were playing on the screens. Coach Brown put his arm around me and said, you know, Colt, this is forever. Your name will forever be up there. No one is ever going to wear your number again. From that moment, I began thinking, forever is a long time. In 1977, Earl Campbell had his number retired, representing jersey number one. Since then, there have been five others, including mine. If Texas continues at this rate of retiring five numbers every 30 years, in a couple of hundred years, there will be dozens of numbers no longer available. Someday, there might not be any jerseys left for players to wear. 
Hundreds of years from now, nobody is going to remember my name. Some university president could come along and order that my number be taken down and put back into circulation. And he goes on to say, he says, let's live our lives for the only thing that hundreds of years from now will still matter. Very few things in this life are truly forever. One of them is what you do in this life for Jesus. That is a legacy you want to leave behind. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of legacy I want to leave behind as well. Notice our first point this morning. It is this. Legacies are passed on. In our focal passage this morning, verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. What is a legacy? A simple definition of a legacy is this. It is what we pass on to the next generation. Ray Pritchard said, It is the solemn duty of every generation to tell the next generation what God has done for them. One generation, the older, must tell the next generation, the younger, the mighty works that God has done. They must tell the story, and they must tell it well. If they keep it to themselves, they rob the future of the treasures of the past. Understand, God has just one plan for the continuation of his people from generation to generation. You know what that plan is? That plan is you and that plan is me. That plan is the generational exchange of the gospel from one generation to the next generation. Psalm 78, 1 through 8. The psalmist wrote these words, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. What are we instructed to do in this passage? We are instructed to pass the good news of salvation from one generation to the next generation. We are instructed to pass on God's glory to our children and their children, and they in turn are instructed to pass God's glory on to their children and their children, and it is a generational exchange. As I was doing some research for this message, I came across a a question and answer time that that David Platt did with another staff member in his church, and Scott was the guy that was being interviewed. And Scott spoke these words. He's, he's kind of an expert in the area of, of generational um, discipleship. And he said, historically, the church has done a really good job passing faith from generation to generation. It has been almost assumed for decades that when those of us who are born again have kids, that we would effectively pass the gospel on to them. He went on to say that not only would we pass the gospel on to them, but we would pass the gospel on to their children and to their children's parents. That was true once. 
But is that still true today? You know, a few weeks ago we looked at um, and talked at, at about the gospel and parenting. We looked at how many church-going parents have outsourced their God-given responsibility to the church. They have, have, have commissioned the church with the responsibility of discipling their children. Is that biblical? Absolutely not. Discipleship begins in the home. The church supports what is done in the home, but the church is not the primary place for discipleship to occur. The primary place is within our homes. That's the way and the model that's been put into place for thousands upon thousands of years. What happens when the gospel stops being passed on to the next generation? Judges 2.10 gives us a scary picture. It says, In all the generation, and all that generation also, were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. You know, folks, we are living in a post-Christian world. We are living in a, a society and, and in which... There is not the same kind of gospel generational exchange as there once was. David, our, our Tom um, Rayner wrote a book back in 1994 called The Bridger Generation. And he shared some scary statistics back in 1994. And he was talking about how ineffective we have been as, as, as Christians and the church at the generational exchange. And, and he, he shared these words, speaking of, of men and women, students and children that had surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and confessed him as Lord and Savior of their lives. And, 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 and these are the statistics that he shared in 1994. He said, over 65, of the, speaking of those that were over 65 years old, he said that 65% of those adults have been born again. Okay, that's a pretty good number there. Okay, 20, 25 or so years ago, those that were 65 and older, about 65% of them were born again Christians. Okay, but notice what he shares next. Notice what he says about that generation's children and that generation's grandchildren and potentially even great-grandchildren. He, he broke it up this way. He said, for those that were 46 to 64 years old, 35% had been born again. Those that fell into the category of 34 to 45 years of age, 15% had been born again. Those within the age range of 16 to 33 years old, only 4% had been born again. That's not to say that they, they have not come to Christ since then, but during this time, whenever he wrote this book, these were the statistics that he came up with. If those numbers were true almost 25 years ago, what do those numbers look like today? How are we doing with the generational gospel exchange? I don't think that any of us would disagree that as believers, as parents, as Christians, we have not done the biblical job that God has given us to do as a whole when it comes to generational exchange. 
You know, legacies are passed on, but they are also developed. That's our second point. Legacies are developed. Legacies do not happen overnight. They're developed. Colt McCoy did not become one of the University of Texas' greatest quarterbacks overnight. He had to work countless hours to become the legend that he was to have his uniform retired um, there at that school. A disciple of Jesus is not developed overnight. It takes years to be made into disciples, and it takes years to make disciples as well. You know, think about Jesus. Think about that, that, that band of men that, that he invested in for three years. It took him three years to get those men ready for his departure. And even then they weren't ready. One of them, um, 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 denied him, another one betrayed him, and others abandoned him. But what happened after Jesus Christ came back and rose and, 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 and ascended at the, to take his rightful seat at the right hand of the throne of God? The Holy Spirit came. So Jesus invested in them for three years, and the Holy Spirit came down upon them. And then those men were ready to change the church, to change the nation to change the course of human history. Disciples are not made overnight. When you and I have the privilege of sharing the good news of salvation with another person and that person becomes a Christ follower, that, our job is not done then, is it? Man, that's just the beginning point. What are we to do next? We are to invest in them, to breathe God's word into them and to teach them to read God's word and study that word and so that they too will have the opportunity to be a part of the biblical generational exchange that all of us have been called to. When one generation commends the glory of God to another generation, that is a good thing. That is a biblical generational exchange. When I think about the development of a legacy, I think about the links that are in a chain. You know, every single one of us that are believers in this room, we represent the link that is in the generational gospel exchange um, 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 chain of our lives. But before we became a part of a link, what we were is we were just a metal rod. We were just a metal rod. We were dead men walking. We had no purpose necessarily. But somebody came along and they began to invest the gospel in us and share the good news of salvation with us. And we prayed and received the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and made a commitment to live our life for him. And at that moment, we too were molded and shaped into um, a link of a chain. And when I think about... Um, our role as, as disciple makers, our role as believers, I, I do think about a chain. And this chain right here, it's 11, it's, it's a, it's 11 feet, has 103 links to it. And, and when I was thinking about this sermon and thinking about how can I make a connection of what our role is as believers... This first link represents the life of someone that invested in us. How many of you had the gospel invested in you? If you're a believer in this room, all of your hands should go up, okay? All right. 
Someone invested the gospel in you. Someone shared the good news of salvation with you. It may have been in a room like this. It may have been one-on-one. It may have been at a camp. It may have been at vacation Bible school. It may have been in your home or, or, or um, at your place of employment. But somebody invested the gospel in you. That person that invested the gospel in you, they represent link number one. Okay, They represent someone that had already had the gospel invested in them. And then guess what? When you became a Christ follower, you went from a metal rod and you were molded and shaped and you became a part of the link. And you were linked on to that person that shared the good news of salvation with you and discipled you and and breathed life into you, okay? For some, tragically, the change stops there. Someone invested in you, you received the good news, you made a commitment to, to, to repent of your sins, and you became a Christ follower, okay? But that's the end of the link. There is no chain link that comes after that. But is that biblical? Absolutely not. Because as believers, what have we been commanded to do? We have been commanded to make disciples. What does that mean? That means that we have been commanded to share the good news of salvation with another person. We can't guarantee their salvation by no means. But we've still been called to share the good news of salvation with somebody. Others. Many others. Also, we've been called to disciple other people. We may not have, re- have shared the plan of salvation with somebody. And they may still be a part of our chain, a part of our link. Why? Because we invested in them, we discipled them, and as a result, they became linked to us. How, let me ask you a question. If you think back on your life, if you think back on the people that you've shared the good news with and the people that you have discipled along your life's journey, how many links are connected to you? How many of those? Is there one? Is there two? Have you invested in the life of three people, four people, five, or none? All of us have been called to invest in other people's lives, haven't we? I mean, the cool thing about this chain is that this chain right here has been going on since the beginning of time. It's a picture of the discipleship chain of, of, of someone that has made a generational exchange and deposit of the good news of salvation within the life of another person. And, and if we do our job right today, guess what? This chain is going to continue long after we're gone. The deposits that we have made into the life of our children, grandchildren, friends, neighbors, people that represent the nations, that chain is going to continue on and on and on. You know, I think about my friend Chief over here. You know, Chief was a pastor for many, many years. And, and he was a, an evangelist for many, many years. There is no telling the number of people that came to know Christ as a result of that man's witness and that man's ministry. What I do know is this, that that generational chain that he has created in his own life is going to outlive him for many, many generations. 
May that be said of all of us. May it be said of all of us that we have made eternal deposits into the lives of other people. Notice what the psalmist wrote in the book of Psalm, verse 71. Verses 17 through 18, we read these words. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Within these two verses, we get a picture of, 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 an, of, of a generational exchange. The first thing that we see represented is the past, um, the, the, the picture of a child or a youth. We see in verse 7, O God, from my youth you have taught me. Once we become part of the discipleship leak, we begin the process of being discipled, don't we? Someone begins to invest in us. But that isn't where we should all remain, is it? We aren't always just to be discipled. We are instructed ourselves to become disciple makers. If we just represent link number two, then we have not fulfilled our God-given responsibility of making disciples. So we are made into disciples so that we, in turn, can go and make disciples. The psalmist says, O God, from my youth you have taught me. Since the gospel was invested in us, we then get to invest the gospel into another. As parents and as grandparents, we get to teach our children, disciple our children, equip our children, and prepare our children for the life that they are going to live one day. One day, as we've talked about um, throughout this series, we're going to launch our children out of our homes. One day, our children are going to leave our home for the final time as permanent residents within our home. Sure, they're going to return. If they're in college, they're going to return with their dirty laundry. They're going to come back, and they're going to want a home-cooked meal. They're going to want all of those things, all right? But there's going to come a day when they're not going to bring their dirty laundry to your house anymore. There's going to be a day when they are on their own 100% of the time. When they reach that stage, are they going to be at a point where they themselves are going to be making disciples of their own children and of their grandchildren and, and, and future generations? As disciple makers, we are to launch the disciples that we make. We aren't just to invest in them, but we're to launch them as well. goes for our children. We're not just to love our kids and to instruct our kids, but one day we get to launch our kids. There is the past and then there is the presence. Notice what the psalmist says here. He said, I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. I received the gospel as a young person, but even today I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. In this room, all of us came to know Christ at different stages of our lives. There was that past, but today is the presence are you glorifying God in all that you do? If not, what is keeping you from doing that? I still proclaim the wondrous deeds, the psalmist says. We are disciple makers the moment we become believers. And disciple makers go out and they look 
for other people that they can invest in themselves. That is legacy leaving. Then the writer goes on to declare and talks about the future. He says in the first part of chapter, or verse 18, even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. This man continued to declare God's glory even as a senior adult. Folks, we've talked about this before, but as long as you still have breath in your lungs, you still get to make disciples. You still can invest your life into the life of another person. All of us in this room most likely are familiar with the evangelist John Wesley. Story has said that the evangelist John Wesley served the Savior in his senior years. In his lifetime, he rode some 350,000 miles on horseback and preached some 40,000 different sermons. At the age of 83, he complained because he could only study God's Word for 15 hours a day. At the age of 86, he was concerned that he was being slothful because he was sleeping until 5 a.m. At the age of 87, he learned his 11th foreign language. At age 88, he was worried because he could only preach two sermons a day, six days a week. Folks, age does not disqualify us, does it? Some of you, man, you're in the prime of your life. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years of age, you're still in the prime of your life. Why? Because you still have breath in your lungs and you still can make an impact on the lives of those that the Lord gives you. So legacies are passed on. Legacies are developed. And finally, legacies are to be pursued. I don't know about you, but I want to be remembered as a man that loved Jesus and passed on his glory to the next generation. In order for this to happen, I must make a biblical commitment that I want to be remembered, not for my worldly accomplishments, but for the deposits of the gospel I have made into the lives of others. There are two kinds of legacy leaving, okay? And notice these two kinds. The first one is this, when we leave something for someone. When we leave them, maybe it's money, maybe it's a business, maybe it's a house or a car, maybe um, it's property. I don't know what it is that you are going, um, that is, uh, that you would be known for leaving. So there is the being known for leaving something. And then notice the second one here, it's this, leave something in someone. Leave an eternal deposit upon someone's heart. You know, you may be remembered as, as the most loving person, the most generous person, the kindest person. But if you don't make the most important deposit into someone's life, and that is the good news of salvation, then you're not going to be remembered for very long, probably. You know, I think about all of these um, multi-billionaires that have made a commitment that they're not going to pass on their money to their children and to their family, but they're going to pass it on um, to this, um, I can't even think of the name of it right now, but it's just kind of this global deposit where these funds are going to be used to help third world countries. That's a good thing, okay? That's, that's making an, an impact into the lives of others, but it's making a short term impact into others' lives. There's only one eternal 
impact that we can make into the life of another, and that is making a deposit of God's Word, making a deposit of the gospel. The gospel is going to outlive all of us. So if we make the right kind of deposit into our children, grandchildren, friends, neighbors, and the nations, guess what? That deposit is going to outlive us. That, the, this chain is, is going to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't know about you, but I hope that because of the life that you and I commit to live, that, that our chains are going to, you know, it's already a long chain in front of us. And because of the deposits that we're going to make into the lives of those that we get to do life with today, that chain is going to continue and continue and continue because the disciples that we have made are then in turn going to disciple other people. Now, one day, you and I, we're going to take our final breath on this side of eternity. We are going to, um, and, and, and if you are going to get buried six feet under the ground, there's going to be a tombstone that's going to be present um, above your grave. And on that tombstone is going to be words such as, in loving memory of John Smith, there's going to be the date of birth, let's just say January 1st, 1927, and then there's going to be the date of death number as well, November the 11th, 2018. That, that date of birth number and that date of death number, you got the beginning point and you got the ending point. Those are two significant days in our lives, obviously, because one, we're born, the other one, we die, and if we're believers, we really go on to live. But what's important up there is not the date of birth or the date of death, but it's that dash that's in between. That is the most significant part of our life. That dash is how you and I are going to be remembered. And may all of us have a desire to live our lives as sold-out men and women and students and children, sold out to Jesus Christ. Let's make a commitment that we're going to make eternal deposits into the life of those that we do life with. Because that right there, that's what's going to outlive us. Those eternal deposits, those gospel deposits that we make into the others. You know, legacy leavers... They reflect God's glory. Legacy leavers are committed to making disciples, to making eternal deposits into the lives of others. Legacy leavers are men and women and students and children that were committed to sharing the good news of salvation with those that they have had the privilege to do life with. Once again, one day, every single one of us is going to take our final breath on this side of eternity. And we're going to be known for people that left something for someone or left something in someone. Let's be known for the latter, that we left something in someone that, that, that is going to outlive us. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, you may be here this morning. And you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, you have, you have never yet joined into the, become a part of the link. Right now, you represent just a metal rod. You know, you may have 
a thought, well, my purpose in life is I'm going to make this money. My purpose in life is I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. My purpose in life is, man, I'm going to retire at the age of 40, and I'm just going to live my life for the rest of my life. Well, that's good, okay? But one day, all right, if you die without a relationship with Jesus Christ, then Scripture is very clear that you will spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. If you're here this morning, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says that if you do that, you will be saved. God's Word also says this, that for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us in this room, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us. Okay, even that perfect person that you think is on that, this side of the room or on that side of the room or right here in the middle, that person is not a perfect person. I'm going to tell you right now, they are a sinner that have fallen short of glory, the glory of God. The difference between that person and you could be this, that they have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ and they've been forgiven of their sins and they have been saved and they have been set free. If you're here this morning and you haven't been saved and you haven't been set free, I want to invite you once again, to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. In just a moment, we're going to have a, a time of invitation. This will be an opportunity for you to respond, if you don't know Jesus, to Jesus. I'm going to be standing here at the front. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to say amen. If there's a decision you need to make for Jesus, I'm going to invite you to step out of the pew that you're sitting in now and come here to the front. Okay? You may be here this morning and you've been part of this church for a while, been visiting, and the Lord's leading you to become a member of this church. And we welcome you to make Friendship Baptist Church your home. You may be here this morning and you just may need to just kind of remain in your, your seat. You may need to remain seated. You may need to stand and just enter into a time of prayer with the Lord. You may need to come to this altar and kneel down because you realize that you're not making eternal deposits into the lives of other people. Your chain has not gone beyond link number your link there's two links the first link and the second link there's nothing after that and so that's telling you hey i need to get busy making disciples it's not too late to get started once again it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are if you're a believer in jesus christ you can make disciples so you may need to just spend this time during our invitation in prayer I don't know what decision you need to make but let's stand together i'm going to lead us in a time of prayer and then i'm going to invite you to come Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you now. Father, once again, thanking you for this morning. Thanking you for our time of worship. Thanking you for the time that you've allowed us to spend in your word today. Father, I don't know what kind of decision needs to be made this morning. But I pray that if there is someone here this morning that has yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, that today they will make the greatest decision that they could ever make. And that is to confess with their mouth, that you are Lord and Savior of their life. Father, just move within the hearts of all of us in this room. Father, there's someone that doesn't know you. May today be the day of their salvation. There may be some here this morning that have been visiting this church a while and you're leading them to become a member of this church, Father, and we welcome them. There may be some here this morning as well, Father, that, that just need to kind of spend the next few minutes just praying. Father, as I know that I need to pray, I need more people in my life than I am investing in, 
that I am discipling one-on-one. And so, Father, I pray for all of us that have a desire to make disciples that you will bring into our lives men and women or students, if we're a student, or children that we can invest in, that we can make eternal deposits in. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made, but, Father, we pray that you'll move now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here this morning,